Well, good morning, everybody. It's so good to be here. I know everybody's happy to be here because I can see smiles everywhere there this morning, so, so that's really good. I, I, I'm a long way away up here, but I, don't, I feel kind of really close to everybody around Spire family. We're family after all. So it's so nice to have you with us this morning, everybody, our Inspire family. If you're joining us, joining our family for the first time, you get a big welcome for people who join our family. We love people joining our family. Uh, so don't feel, don't feel, you know, if it's your first time, you don't belong, you belong. Okay, we all belong. And that's, that's so good, isn't it? We come to worship our God. We, we set aside some time in midweek, in the middle of the week, somebody was praying before and, we're, and she was saying, well, this is the middle of the week and we've come together to be together as, as a, God's family here this morning and, and to worship, worship him together. And uh, it's so good to be here. And, and I think another, another thing that, uh, it's really a blessing to us, um, particularly in, in the world we live in. It's, it's, it's great to be encouraged with good news, isn't it? And the good news. <laughs> and so we are always encouraged. Uh, and, and we're encouraged because we can know the truth. That's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. To, there's a lot of news around, but it's not all true. But uh, the wonderful thing about the gospel is it's good, it's truth. Uh, and so I thought we'd share some wonderful news here this morning to start our service before we sing together. Um, and John, we'll, we'll borrow from John this morning, John the Apostle. And uh, some people have said this is the whole gospel in one verse, and I'm sure we know it well. The words will be up on the screen. We could even say them together this morning. What good news this really is. For God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. We say everlasting, don't we? Or eternal life. Uh, and in answer to Thomas's question, we talk about doubting Thomas. He asked questions. That's a good thing to ask questions. I'm glad he asked this question because he said, how can we know the way to the Father? And this was Jesus' answer. So this is Jesus' answer this morning. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Maybe we'll say it another way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We can celebrate these truths. And I think a wonderful way of celebrating a truth is to sing them. So we're going to sing one, sing them this morning. Let's stand together. This I believe.
Father, we thank you so much for the truth of the words we've been singing. Thank you for the truth of the words we read before, Father. We thank you that you gave your only son because you so loved us. Lord Jesus, you suffered and you died in our place so that we, when we believe in you, we can know the joy, Lord, of sins forgiven, a new life, Lord, that conquers death. We worship you, Lord, this morning. We pray, Father, that You'll open our hearts, so their hearts will be open this morning to all that you want to say to us and do in this time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, Amen. Let's be seated. Uh, this week I, I read a, a, a well-known story, a story probably everybody knows so well. Uh, it's about the Exodus, uh, about the way God brought his people out of slavery in Egypt. The trouble, I think, with stories we know so well, we sometimes miss some gold in the stories. We sometimes miss some wonderful things in the story because we think we know the story. And uh, just quickly here this morning, I'm going to tell the whole story. The people had arrived at the Red Sea and behind them was the Egyptian army, the horses, the chariots, and the people were terrified and they were blaming Moses for leading them out into the desert to only just to die at the hands of the Egyptians. And then this is what we read. And this is, this is what we read. Moses answered the people. And it's what he said. Do not be afraid. 
Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you'll never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. That last sentence grabbed me. I thought, I can't ever remember reading that before. You need only to be still. And uh, what a what a powerful word that is, almost the most powerful thing in the whole story. Um, and the psalmist picks up the same thought, Psalm 46, and we know these words well. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. And on, in verse 10, he said, God says, be still and know that I am God. It's a word for us all, isn't it, uh, this morning? Maybe you know, you know, I'm sure you know the song. Do you? Be still and know. I'm sure we don't need the words up. That's that's all the words there are. <laughs> Let's sing it together. wonderful love to us. How we thank you for that this morning. In Jesus' name.
Let's stand together. We're going to sing a great song this morning. A song we love here. The goodness of God. His goodness and His mercy never fails.
Welcome, Trevor. Ah, that's so beautiful. In the big auditorium here, you can spread out as you will and feel as COVID safe as you want to be. Isn't that wonderful? So, if you're worried about being down here, drop the gallery. We'll rescue you. That's wonderful. Hey, that's just beautiful to pause and worship like that. I was just noticing in those songs, we started off with Be Still. And then we've been singing of the mercy of God and the goodness of God. And all my days you have been faithful, the faithfulness of God. So be still. Know that he's merciful. He's good. He's also faithful in the midst of it all. Isn't that wonderful? And I was just thinking, Phil, while we were singing that, hey, incidentally, Rochelle, you don't have a song up your sleeve, dear? A little something? No sleeves. Oh, I see. Nothing you can work out between the two of them? Just a, a little something? I'll let you think about that for a moment. Any old favourite, any old favourite. I'll leave that with them for the moment. I was just thinking, Phil, when we were singing that, be still and know that I am God. You know, with all that's happening in the nations of the world, a bit hard to be still when you see all that, isn't it? But did you notice what the rest of that verse said? Be still and know that I am God. And you see what, did you see what comes next? I will be exalted among the nations. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Well, I don't know about you, but I just needed that all from the song. Thanks, Phil, for choosing it this morning. Now, folks, we have some announcements. Uh, firstly, Pat Turner would normally... Uh, She's connected with us here, and she's starting Radium today. Please pray for Pat. We're going to have a time of just silent prayer in a moment. Pray for Pat. Bill Crank's been in hospital. Bill, I don't think you're here this morning. You shouldn't be. You'd be a naughty boy if you were. And Alan Blinks, oh, it's good to have him out of hospital and at home again. Alan's here today. And uh, Faye Humphreys is very unwell. Del Birkbeck, who was with us all the time for a long period, she's in the hospital at the moment. Carly Oldham, who's usually here with us. That young lady sometimes speaks and such an inspiration. She's been in Melbourne in hospital and they're still in lockdown down there so they can't get back here to Brisbane. Incidentally, Jenny Campbell, she's in lockdown in Melbourne too, so she and her husband can't get back. But she's able to be online for all the meetings that we have. Um, 
And it's just great to have Ian Q with us today. Hey, Ian, it's great to have you here. Ian's from Adelaide, the dad of one of our young mothers here at the church. He's in rehab down at Brighton at the moment. He's come all the way and he's in the taxi and he's here with Edwin. Bless you. Yeah, we give you a warm welcome. Yeah, give us a wave so everybody knows. There you are. Wonderful. So good to see you and anybody else who's with us today. And uh, those who love to give offerings in this particular service, just reminded there are the boxes at the door as you leave for those who love to give to the Lord's work at this meeting. Others give at on other occasions, of course. Well, we're going to pray. I'm going to suggest that we just have an opportunity. Didn't the Lord say, is this is my house of prayer. Don't you like to have time to just pray when you get here? From the rush and the bustle of everything, just to pause here. And now just to lift our hearts up to the Lord. You say, well, what do I say if you're not used to praying? Just talk to your Father who is in heaven if you love Jesus. And if you don't yet love Jesus, Call out to him. Say, Lord, reveal yourself to me. I want to trust in you. So let's pray for loved ones, personal situations, this world. Moment of prayer. Lord, you hear the prayers of our hearts. It's good just to be still. Oh, yes, Lord, there's times for great excitement and expression of joy in worship. But there are times, Lord, just to be still and to know You are God. We commit one another to your love and to your grace. And we pray this morning we'll just plunge into the fountain, as it were. Let you wash over us. Refresh us. Inspire us, Lord, by your mercy. Grace in the name of
Amen. Well, good morning, people. Good to see you. I'd rather be sitting down there than standing up here, though. Um, what I'd like to do this morning is have a look at the church in Thessalonica. Just look at the first chapter of the first, Thess first letter that Paul wrote to the Thessalonians. Um, I'll read it, and then I'll make a few comments about how the church uh, was planted in the first place. So, First Thessalonians chapter 1, just the, well, there are only 10 verses in the, one, in the first chapter. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. I think I'll pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to pause as we have been doing. Just pause in your presence, O Lord. We need the aid of the Holy Spirit to give us understanding. You'll say different things to different people. And so we ask you, Heavenly Father, that uh, your Holy Spirit would just guide us in what I say, but also in what we hear from you, what we, we receive, so that at the end of our time together, we're better equipped to serve you and to love you and to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as you're probably aware, churches don't just pop up. Some person or some people have to go to a lot of trouble a lot of effort to plant a church. And uh, the planting of this church is recorded in Acts chapter 17. I won't read it for the sake of time, but uh, Paul and Silas were in Philippi. Paul had been in jail there because of his witness and he led the jailer and his family to the Lord. And then they moved on down to Thessalonica where we're told in that passage in Acts 17 that Paul preached in the synagogue, the Jewish synagogue, there for three, three consecutive, would have been, well, Sabbaths, which would have been Sunday, as Saturday. And as a result of that, people came to the Lord. Some of those were Jews, some were Gentiles, and we're told some of them were very prominent or noble women, women of influence, probably business women, who came to the Lord as well. But then, then the trouble started. 
Uh, we read, actually I'll read verse 5 of 17. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring Paul and Silas out to the crowd. So they were isolating themselves, quarantining themselves in Jason's house. And um, the Jews didn't like that, so they created as much trouble as they could for the Jews there in Thessalonica. And then the believers sent Paul and Silas away, and they went down to a town called Berea. And that was about 70 or 75 k's away. And while they were ministering the word there, another church was blossoming, another church was growing, because the believers there responded to the gospel. But then those Jews who were in Thessalonica heard about what God was doing through Paul at Berea. And so they were so angry, so antagonistic, that they went on down to Berea. Now, 75 k's, I can jump in my car and do that in an hour. These people didn't have cars. I don't think Jews had horses. Either they walked or they got donkeys, whatever, but it would have taken them quite a long time. But that just shows how, how aggressive they were in their determination to stop the preaching of the gospel uh, anywhere where Paul was. So that's the background to the planting of the church in Thessalonica. So in verse 2, we're told that... Um, uh, well, uh, Timothy was now with... They'd moved across to Corinth after Berea, or Athens and then Corinth, and then Timothy joined them, young Timothy, who became a pastor, he joined them, and then the three of them were joined in... Or Paul wrote the letter, but the three of them sent their greetings and so on. So, um, so Paul, Silas, and Timothy were now in Corinth, and Paul wrote this letter, and... Um, he says the three of them are giving thanks uh, to God for all the believers in Thessalonica. And then he elaborates a bit more as to what they were praying for and thinking about uh, when they came to God. They, he said, that, well, these people were known for certain practices and certain qualities. You see, this church, like every church, had a reputation. We as a church here, we want to be known as a church that welcomes the crowds, shares about the kingdom of God and heals those who need healing. And uh, we also see this about, about churches having a reputation when we read Revelation chapter 2 and 3 because uh, Jesus, through John, wrote letters to the churches there and, every, and he was able to pinpoint with every one of them something about them, always something good, I think, but sometimes something not so good. But uh, they certainly had a, had a reputation. The Thessalonian believers, who were made up of Jews and Greeks and a number of women, prominent women, I said, as I said before, they were known for three things. They were known for their work of faith, their labor of love, and their steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Their work of faith, their labor of love, and their steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. You're probably already aware that the, these three graces of faith, love and hope are mentioned a number of times throughout the New Testament letters. They are very important. And for the Thessalonian church, they are very real qualities that had practical outcomes. They had a faith that worked. It was the Apostle James who explained that faith 
without works is dead. So if you have a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, there's going to be an outworking of it in some way, somehow, because of your relation. It'll just flow out of your relationship with him. You'll do something, some good deed. It'll flow out of your life that'll be a blessing to others. Every one of, the, of those letters that, to the seven churches uh, in Asia that I mentioned, Revelation, mentions the, their works or their deeds, depending on the translation you use. And so our works or our deeds are very important to Jesus. He commends them for their good works. He commends them for their deeds. And, and then Paul in Ephesians tells us that God has prepared in advance good works for us to do. God has already planned the good works that I'm to do. He's already planned the good works that you are to do, and no doubt many of you have been doing for decades. But we need to be sensitive to the Spirit as a church and as individuals saying, Lord, what are the works that you want me to do? I don't want to be doing my thing. I want to be doing your thing. I want to be obedient to the Father. No doubt you've heard the expression, it was a labour of love, or you might have, might have used it yourself. There's actually a book called A Labour of Love, and it's a guide to natural childbirth. That's not what we are talking about today. Although this relates a little bit. Paul's word labour means a lot of exertion resulting in fatigue. I've never given birth, but I've seen my children and what it did. Um, but it's a work you do because of the love you have for God and the love for the people that you're going to serve. It's called a labor of love. And so we don't want to make too big a distinction between a work of faith and a labor of love. Uh, the work of faith comes out of our relationship with Jesus, but a labor of love comes out of our love for Jesus and a love for people. And they can often overlap. But it's a work we do because we love those who will benefit from it. Just like our street light ministry here on Monday night, uh, quite a large group of people from our fellowship go down to a certain park and they give food and try and minister as the best they can to people who are homeless. To me, that's a labor of love. It requires a lot of effort, but they do it because they love the people there and they want them to come to know Jesus. Now, Paul, having commended the Thessalonians for their love, he says in a later chapter that he's praying that they will abound in love for one another and for everyone. In other words, that they'll grow in their love. They won't stay static. And then he... Um, and then he wrote in his next letter, in 2 Thessalonians, the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. So he, he recognized they had love. He prayed that their love would grow. He recognized that it was growing. And then he commends them for that. And so our love is never meant to be static. Love, if it's, if it's full of the life of Jesus, it'll just keep growing. And so our influence will grow, the influence of Jesus. Okay, we move on to steadfastness or endurance, which was another quality that this church possessed. What inspired this endurance, this patient fortitude in the, faces of, in the face of opposition, which is what the word means? Paul says it was their hope. It was their hope. 
in the Lord Jesus. These people were being very badly persecuted by Jews because of their faith in Jesus, but they were able to look beyond the suffering to the coming again of the Saviour when they would be with him forever. And the Christian's hope is not wishful thinking. There are no ifs or maybes or doubt about it. It's genuine, it's real. Uh, it's a confident looking forward to a future beyond this world. It's promised by God. It's founded on the resurrection of Christ. It's confirmed to us by the Holy Spirit and given it to us as a guarantee of our own resurrection and eternity with Jesus. And today in many countries around the world, the Christian church is growing and yet it's being severely persecuted and it's this hope in Christ that the Thessalonians had that keeps these persecuted believers grow, uh, going and growing uh, right across the world. In verse, Paul, uh, verse 4, Paul now goes on to say a few more things about this local church. He says that they are loved and they are chosen by God and the two go together. It's God's love for people that is the basis of his choosing out a people for himself. And he made that very clear. Very early in Israel's history, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, the Lord, it says, The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were new, more numerous than the other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you. So you and I are chosen to be in God's forever family. And it's not because we're so lovable, it's because God is love and because he loves you and he loves me. In his next letter, Paul says that they were chosen for salvation. And then Paul says something about the preaching of the gospel when he was there in Thessalonica. And he uses words like, well, he speaks about words, power, the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. And these are not all separate, unrelated experiences. The words preached were the gospel. The power came from the Holy Spirit, and as did the deep con conviction. The Spirit, without the Word of God, is weaponless. The Word of God, without the Spirit, is powerless. And as Paul shared with them the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God empowered him, no doubt Silas, to deliver his message with accuracy or authenticity. And the deep conviction in the hearts of the hearers was also the work of the Spirit. And that's what happens in, when, when people hear the gospel, when it's sound teaching, anointed by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God brings conviction not only of sin, righteousness, and judgment, but it brings a conviction that what people are hearing is right. This is authentic. This is real. This is, this is reality. This is what I need to hear. And so they, the Thessalonians were convinced of the truth of what they were hearing. And they believed it. And they put their trust in Christ alone. And so a fellowship was born. But there was something else happening that gave power to the preaching of the gospel there. Paul says, you know how we lived among you. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. The citizens of Thessalonica saw how these two missionaries lived, how they spoke to each other, how they went about their business in the marketplace, 
In fact, everything they did was affected by the faith that they professed in Jesus. They were living, breathing examples of lives changed by the gospel. In fact, these new believers began to imitate how Paul and Silas lived. Now, many of them had come from a pagan background and they didn't know what it, what it was to be a Christian. This was all new to them. The Jews would have had a better idea because, well, of the moral law, the teaching of the moral law and so on, and exposure through the prophets and so on. But the Gentiles wouldn't have known a lot. They were pagan, they were idol worshipping Greeks. But it says, You became imitators of us and of the Lord. Are you, am I, living so close to Jesus that if people imitate us, they're also imitating Jesus? That's how it should be. And twice in 2 Corinthians, Paul told the people to imitate him as he imitated Christ. That's quite something, isn't it? If we're discipling someone, and we should be, then we should be able to say, watch my life, and you'll see what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Live how I live because I'm imitating Jesus. Now this church was suffering persecution as we saw, but Paul says in spite of severe suffering, you welcome the message with the joy of the Holy Spirit. The planning of this church didn't go unchallenged as we saw from Acts 17, but the people were so convinced, they were so convinced of the truth of the gospel by what they saw and heard that they endured the antagonism of these angry Jews who tried to make life miserable for them. They received the word with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Yes, the Holy Spirit will convict of sin, but he's also the one who gives us the joy, the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. The same Spirit who gave power to those who preached the gospel gave joy to those who received it. In Paul's second letter in chapter 3 and verse 1, he says, I want you to pray that when the gospel goes forth, it'll go forth speedily and it'll be honoured the same way as it was when you received it. And so the way we honour the word of God is to embrace it, to live it out and let it mould us into the character of Christ. Paul says they received the message, they welcomed it right into their hearts and minds and it transformed them. They began to change as they should. They are never the same again. Because in receiving the message, they believed on Jesus and they received the Holy Spirit. And we're told in Romans 8, unless we have the Spirit of God, unless the Spirit of God dwells within us, we do not belong to Jesus. And so we need to know that we have the Spirit of God dwelling in us. Because that's an, a guarantee that we're in the Jesus family. And the, and the Holy Spirit is in the business of transforming us into the likeness of Jesus, of course. Now in verse 7 we see something interesting. Remember how they imitated Paul and his friends. Now we see that these new believers, this young church, this persecuted church, became an example, they became a model to other churches. The imitators became the imitated. They became, Paul says they became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. And we could have a map, and I'm standing in the way, my wife can see through me, but you can't. <laughs> Never mind. I'll step aside. Um, yeah. 
Macedonia and Achaia were the two Greek provinces. Macedonia was in north and Achaia was in the south there. And you may even pick up on Thessalonica just uh, up in Macedonia there. Uh, verse 8, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need, don't need to say anything. So this is how they're example to other churches. The Lord's message, the gospel, sounded forth from them. And Paul's word has the idea of a loud noise like a trumpet or thunder. And I think Paul means they're unashamedly spreading the good news. And one of the first signs that a church has really understood and embraced the gospel is the witness it exercises in the local community and beyond. And John Stott, one of my favourite uh, authors, said the, says this, the gospel creates the church which spreads the gospel, which creates more churches, which in turn spread the gospel further ad infinitum. This sequence is God's continuing purpose throughout the world. We plant churches, they spread the gospel, more, gospels, more churches are planted, and so the gospel spreads, and that's how, it, how it's meant to be. So these Thessalonians got on with the God-given task of the church, making known the good news of salvation to those around them. They discovered early that good news is for sharing with others, just like themselves. They took the gospel not only to the people in their own community and just beyond, but to a people of a different ethnic background, to people who might otherwise never, ever have heard the gospel. And the message came to them, they received it, and then they passed it on. And that's God's plan for ongoing evangelism through local churches. And there are people who have left the security and the comfort uh, of their own community and culture, and they have embraced another culture, community, and language. And we... We, we're aware of some of those people. Some of them, we've, they're from this church or we support them. In Mali, we have the Downs family who've spent years building relationships uh, with the local community who are Muslims, teaching them what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, gathering them together in fellowships and uh, encouraging them to grow in the Lord. And, and then um, uh, the uh, the, the Downs family will be with us in May, so we look forward to that. In Cambodia, of course, we have the Hodges family, and uh, their relatives are here today. And uh, they're doing a similar thing there in Cambodia, seeking to build relationships with the local people in the capital there in order to share the gospel with them, the building bridges of friendship, really, in order to share the gospel with teenagers and their mums and dads so that they can introduce them to the Saviour and form fellowships there for these people to be involved in. Also in Cambodia, we have a mother and daughter to whom God has given separate ministries. Sandy has uh, an amazing ministry to prisoners and uh, in, the north of Cam in north of the country, north of Cambodia, and Liz, her daughter, uh, through a local compassionate Bible teacher, is reaching the poor with the gospel and medical and material support. And uh, some of us here today are supporting Liz in that ministry. In the Middle East, we have who are endeavouring to share the gospel uh, with an unreached people group, of which there are many. And it's not easy. There are many obstacles. But God is giving them encouragement, and we need to pray for wisdom for the appropriate strategies, the uh, 
I won't give her name, but the lady, Mrs. Um, talked to me for 45 minutes about what life was like over there. But there are obstacles, but there are also um, great encouragements. And then finally, not directly connected with our church, but I was asked to talk about this gentleman, um, but someone who did help with the building of the original building. The auditorium is my son. I didn't know I was going to do that. <laughs> he's not only making disciples in Mexico, but he's training other people in Mexico to be disciple makers too. And he's been doing it via Zoom, um, training people in the US, and he has even visited Cuba. There are Christians in Cuba who are, um, who are being trained and equipped to make disciples who will make disciples. Uh, at the end of a book I've just finished reading called Finding Faith. It relates stories of people from many cultures who have come out of atheism or another religion to know and love Jesus. The author says, I was amazed again that God is at work every day in airports and on trains and the busy streets around us because he so dearly loves us. And then here are some figures from 2018. Around the world, every day, more than 170,000 new Christians bow the knee to the Lord and Saviour. Every week, there are more than 4,000 new churches planted to cater for the growth and to reach out to their communities. So the Holy Spirit not only works in us to conform us to the character of Jesus, but he works through us to take the gospel message to those who haven't yet heard. And if you want to read a good missionary story by someone that's familiar to us and at Rattrace here today. Her, her story and Bruce, her husband's story is in a book called Thousands. You have copies of that? A new one. Oh, it's got a, anyway. You talk to Annette. How much is it? Doesn't remember. It's not expensive. It's a, anyway, whatever it costs, it's good. It's worth getting. It's a good story. People in other places, coming back to the Thessalonica, people in other places were not only aware of what God did at Thessalonica, but they were talking about it as well. Oh, did you hear what happened in Thessalonica? And so on. These are people in other towns. So Paul says, your faith in God has become known everywhere. They were talking about it. And I hope people are talking about what God is doing in this place here. People outside who have never darkened our doors. Well, how did this happen without the internet and radio and CDs and DVDs and whatever else we've got? Well, it's by the same method that's available to us today, word of mouth. These people gossip the gospel. As witnesses of Jesus, we are to tell people the good news, people in our neighbourhood, the people we come across wherever, and participate at least in some way of helping the gospel to get to what we call unreached people groups, people in other parts of the world who have not yet heard the gospel. And there are still thousands of those groups. And then in the final verses, Paul said, they report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned, how you serve, how you wait. They turn to God from idols. Idol worship is an abomination to God. And on Sunday at the baptism, the gentleman who was baptized, he said he grew up in a Hindu culture. And he said even when he was about 10, he just, a statue, he said a statue can't talk to you. 
But people are trapped, people are deceived, people are worshipping statues all around the world. And Jonah, Jonah said in chapter 2 of his book, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. They forfeit the grace that could be theirs. And so whatever we choose over Jesus is our idol. And these Thessalonians, the one who had been idol worshippers, turned away from idols to God, from darkness to light, from death to life, from sin to Christ. And for us in the Western world and the church, whatever the primary focus is of our lives is our God. It's our idol, whether it could be sport or career, leisure, pleasure, but always it should be Jesus, should be the ultimate focus of our lives. So these people turn from their idols to serve the living and true God. The living and true God, not dead, lifeless idols, but the living and the true God. Disciples of Jesus are also servants of Jesus. And God has given us spiritual gifts. And we have abilities that, uh, that we've developed, perhaps over a period of time. And these can all be used in the service of the Saviour. And that is happening every day of the week here on this property and, out, and as a, an outreach from this property people are using their gifts and their abilities to take the gospel to others and to be a blessing and while they were serving God they also had one eye on the heavens they were waiting for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead Paul taught them about the sacrificial death of Jesus he taught them about the resurrection but in those few weeks, he taught them also about the coming again of the Lord Jesus. And so today, Christians around the world are waiting for the Savior who God raised from the dead. And he's now in the heavens, seated at God's right hand, triumphant over Satan and therefore over sin and death and hell. And he's praying. He's praying for his church. He's praying for you. He knows you by name. He's praying for you. Jesus is praying for you. And then verse 10 says, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. This wrath is God's holy and uncompromising antagonism to evil. It's inevitable that one day God's wrath will fall on godless humanity. But it won't be directed at those who know and love the Saviour, those who put their trust in Him, those who have been justified by grace through the Lord Jesus, they are looking joyfully to the coming again of Jesus. And when he comes, Paul said he will rescue us. He rescues those who love him and belong to him. And he will take us to be with him forever. As we, well, we won't be doing it, but as you read on, you find this church wasn't perfect. No church is, because it's got people in it. But there are things, there are qualities in this church that we would do well to imitate. There are a church that was had a strong faith in Jesus, they loved one another and they endured whatever suffering, whatever affliction came because of their hope in Jesus. And they had a, an eye for those who, who had yet to, be un, yet to be reached. They had an outward look to take the gospel to those who hadn't heard. And so we too need to be global Christians with a global vision because we have a global God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that um, Paul planted that church in Thessalonica and then wrote to them because we get the benefit of being able to see what he said. And uh, we pray that the Spirit of God will make your word real in our hearts. Forget what I said, but 
Make your word alive in us so it produces fruit for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Brian has uh, focused our, our hearts and our minds on all that God is doing right throughout our whole world. And uh, I was reading last week in, uh, in India, hundreds of people uh, have been coming to Jesus in the last year in difficult place in Moorbunge where, where Graham gave his life and people are coming to Jesus all over the world. And uh, we, just, we just want to focus on God as we sing our last song, How Great Is Our God. Let's stand together. The splendour of the King.
my soul then sings my Thessalonians, Paul writes this. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. Isn't that beautiful? Well, Brian's read it to the brothers and sisters this morning. As we leave, barista coffee will be served. Uh, some of the pastors will be your baristas, your friendly baristas, so you'll be able to get to know them. If you don't know them, interact with them. It'll give you opportunity to meet some of them this morning. Thank you for coming. Two weeks' time, the Lord willing, if he hasn't come first, we will be back here, the Lord willing. Let's pray. Now, Lord Jesus, we worship, we praise, we adore you. Thank you for these moments where we can just draw aside in your house of prayer and be refreshed by your Holy Spirit. Now, Lord, we commit one another to your love, your mercy and your grace. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. And if you would value prayer, support, prayerful support, just come to the front seats. We'll know that you're here for prayer and someone will be with you to encourage you and pray with you. God bless you.